Good evening and welcome to Transatlantic History Ramblings. I am Lauren from Swansea in South Wales and with me, as always, is... It's Brian in Buffalo, New York, US of A, who does not have a hard time saying transatlantic. Um, for those who aren't privy, uh, that's how Lauren misspoke uh, in her first attempt at greeting you to the show tonight. Lauren's not well. Lauren's on tablets. Leave Lauren alone. It, okay, first off, when you say Lauren's on tablets, you got to specify, because in America, that means something completely different. <laughs> Lauren's on antibiotics. Leave Lauren alone. Lauren is sick. What's wrong, Lauren? <laughs> I've just got an infection. I'll be okay. I've had to take the rest of the week off work, though. Because they're very strong antibiotics and they are knocking me for six. And actually, it's a funny story. Our GP surgery has merged with another GP surgery. So I rang up to get an appointment. They ring me at quarter to four on Friday. And because I don't really want to travel too far, I asked, can they send the prescription over to the doctor's surgery nearest to me? And they say no, because there's no doctors there. So I had to wait until Monday to be able to start the course of antibiotics. There were no doctors there? Yeah, I, I know. It's 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 a bit weird. Uh, I you know, I had to go see my doctor last week. Yes. I did. Um it was terrible. He told me I was going deaf. That was hard news to hear. <laughs> get it, Lauren? Yeah, I do get it. Oh. Anyway, for the first time, we got emails all week from people commenting on how funny something was, and it wasn't my jokes, Lauren. Well, the, the hilarious thing was, is that, like, within... 30 minutes of you posting it you were going we've had emails I think but it's only been up there for 30 minutes yeah people I think a lot of people listen to the show as soon as it drops like they get the notification hey the new episode's out and uh it drops very early in the morning in the U.S. um slightly you know afternoon in the U.K. so I think people in the U.S. listen to it on their way to work or in the U.K. you know maybe during lunch either way these people have been loving the Haribo gummy review. And uh, I, I, I said, are we getting people saying that should be a regular feature? And I think we might make it a semi-regular feature. What do you think, Lauren? Yes, because some of them are very long. Well, yeah. But uh, in a little bit, we'll get into, we'll possibly do another um, uh, Haribo gummy review. We'll get to that in a little bit. But before we do, Lauren, before we do, you realize in two days I'm going on my vacation. Mm. So there is a good chance, folks, there will not be a show next week because I will be out of town for several days. Um, unless uh, someone I've been trying to get an interview with comes through and I will actually take my computer and contact Lauren and possibly on my vacation take time out to record an episode but no promises there might not be a show next week because i'm going on my little mini vacation 
to the International Boxing Hall of Fame induction ceremony. Does that make me a nerd, Lauren? Yes. (laughs) Does it really now? You didn't even have to think about that. You're a nerd. You're a nerdy nerd nerd. I am a nerdy nerd nerd. And I'm shrinking. Did you know that? No, you're not. I am shrinking. Lies. No, my doctor told me. And again, I was panicking. And I said, doctor, doctor, help me. I'm shrinking. I'm shrinking. And he said, calm down. You just have to learn to be a little patient. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) But actually, it is true. I am almost a full inch shorter than I was a couple years ago. Did the doctor explain why? Yeah, the you know the older you get, you know your your um, vertebrae compress and you you shrink. You know that old thing about people getting smaller as they get older. It's true. But you're not that old. No, I am now just over six foot four, so I'm still taller than the average bear, but I am yeah, shrinking. I wouldn't I wouldn't say like you're at the age where you ought to be worrying about things like that. I'm at the age where I worry about everything. I'm at the age where I'm afraid to fart because I'm not sure it's going to be alone, Lauren, if you know what I mean. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently you do. Maybe that's a side effect of antibiotics, huh? No, it happened to Theo once, bless him. (laughs) It happened where? It happened to Theo. Oh, well, he's he's a kid. It's supposed to happen to him. (laughs) And he got... I just remember, I thought I had to fart, and I had to move. <laughs> yeah, sometimes they're not alone. And I said to him, I said, that's all right. I said, we've all gambled on a fart and lost. <laughs> that's a good way of putting it. Oh, that, wow. Wow. Um, yeah. Uh, but I'm getting to that age, you know, where everything worries me. Uh, it's, 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 it's sad. As, as I get older, I remember all the people that I've lost along the way, Lauren. And it's at that moment I realize uh, maybe your career as a tour guide wasn't a good idea, huh? <laughs> you almost laughed at that when I heard you. You muted your microphone to avoid a chuckle. No, I didn't. I didn't mute my microphone. My microphone is not muted. But you did chuckle. I did. I know. See, that's how I could tell you're all drugged up. (laughs) (laughs) You're laughing at my jokes. You're all kinds of doped up, Lauren. Listen to you. Fine. And can you imagine if we were recording the interview live today because... Oh, today's show, folks. This is going to be a great one. And this is a special, special shout-out episode to our dear friend, uh, Misha Malcolm, who is such a big fan of our paranormal shows. This one's for her. We have the man, the myth, the mustache, Neil Story, and the one and only Kurt Konecki of The Strange Sessions coming on. And we're going to talk all things weird and wild and UFO related with the Phoenix lights. And uh, sometimes things get a little giddy when Neil is on the show, Lauren. And if you were all doped up on pills when Neil was on, I don't know where this thing would go. This might be an X rated episode. I think I'd have had to call off sick. 
Because <laughs> I, I feel like I would have been taken advantage of. You, oh, yeah, you would have. And imagine if John Cox came on with some oranges while you were all doped up. There would be fights. <laughs> <laughs> it would just, it'd be a madhouse. A madhouse. Oh. On the positive note, uh, it's probably, what do you want, like a seven-day? Um, I, I don't know. It's, a, it's um, five days, I think, because they didn't see me. But then, I don't know. Now, do they make you tired? Do they make you irritable? Do they make you got to pee a lot? Um, well, no. I was really ill yesterday before I started the- started them so I took the day off yesterday and I thought as soon as I start them I might be in a better place to um take them but I was still feeling a bit ill today I managed to get through the day but I asked if I could take the rest of the week off I was happy to take my holiday because I just thought I just need to take the week off but my boss was very kind and told me to take it off as sick leave oh that's nice yes because I didn't want to do that well, you didn't well, want to shit yourself at the office. No, no, and I'm just so I, I'm just so exhausted. So I actually might have to be with everything that happened on Sunday as well because that was hilarious. It, well, I just want to point out, you know, you poop yourself at the office once, and you're 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 marked, you're labeled for the rest of your career. <laughs> uh, Trust me. Well, the, the thing is, the thing is, though, it's to get to because <clears throat> I'm in the office and. In Cardiff, it um, it takes about an hour and a half to get there, so it would have been interesting. Yeah, so now what happened Sunday that was so funny? Um, well, in church, we have different rotors for different things. So every Sunday, I ring the bells. I, um, I, I, um, Lauren playing Quasimodo. Yeah, that's me swearing at you. Um, and then... I'm also a sides person, which is we greet people as they come in and they and we also take the collection. But this weekend, for some reason, I hadn't clocked that it, I was also doing the tea and coffee and that being a sides person and the tea and coffee clashed. So it was pretty. Um, it was, I was everywhere on Sunday. So. You ring the bells, then you go to the door. Hey, welcome. How's it going? How's it hanging? How are you doing? Hey, what's his name? What are you doing? How are you? One of those um, things? Um, it's I do that first because we we set things up in the morning. Um, and then I will run off, ring the bells, come back down and finish up. And then we've got to count everybody for a communion. And then um, we just sit at the back. So remember, remember when we were talking about communion and how you could buy communion wafers by the gross in America? Yes. And uh, you didn't believe me, and then I sent you the uh, yeah. the links to yeah. where you could buy them. Yeah. So I've been on this diet for it's almost two months now. I've been on this this strict diet. You know, there's like no calories in those wafers. <laughs> that might become my new snack food. Your <laughs> snack of choice is 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 the sacrament. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> unlike something else, which isn't as doesn't seem to be as pleasant experience for people as as as, as the Eucharist. <gasps> you mean it's time for 
Yummy, yummy, gummies makes my tummy feel crummy. <laughs> you like the new intro for it? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, this one is entitled, this is quite a long one. Okay. So, um, we're, we're, I think in future, when we think about these things, we're going to have to think about um, the length of them. But this this stood out for me. So the title of this one is Hell Holds No Surprises for Me Anymore. This is a cautionary tale. And unlike most of the other reviews on this project, this is a true story and its authenticity can be qualified by a small news item that appeared in the Toronto Star local news Toronto Star's local news section during the month of April in 2013, much to my charging. I would consider myself a prudent man, no given to bouts of outspokenness or craving attention and certainly not one to rock the boat. On any given day, I can be found reading a crime novel on a park bench in the middle of the city, soaking in the opulence of nature while nibbling on my tuna fish sandwiches and fending off the voracious gulls and squirrels that threaten to spoil my repose. This is me, law-abiding and introspective, which is why it came as a shock to me to find myself incarcerated because of the devil's confectionery, Satan's sweetmeat, Lucifer's lozenges, the horror that is known as Harry Bow's sugar-free gummy bears. I'll set the scene. It was late winter, early spring in Toronto, and the city had just been digging itself out from a late-season snowstorm. I was heading to Pearson International Airport for a red-eye flight to Amsterdam in order to give the Dutch arm of our company some training on the new software that has been installed. I am deliberately being vague to prevent my place of work being linked in any way to the incident that occurred. I had just finished packing, checked time and found it was running. I was running late. My flight was at 7.10pm and it was now almost 5pm. Cursing softly, I ran out to the car and threw bags in the trunk, hitting the gas a little harder than usual in my haste to make it to the long-term parking lot as soon as possible. Luckily, traffic was light on the 401 and it made it to the airport in record time, but knew my, that my chances of making the flight were still at risk if I didn't use my time wisely. I hadn't eaten since lunch and I was feeling a bit hungry. My stomach rumbling loudly in protestation was was, which caused me to look around at the other travellers rushing past me in the busy terminal, mortified that my bodily noises might be heard by others. I briskly checked my watch and decided that I had enough time to grab a quick snack before going through baggage to check and security and would get something more substantial once I was checked through security. I spotted a vending machine nestled in a relatively low traffic corner of the terminal and rushed over, already pulling out my credit card and mentally assessing what I had a craving for so to save time interacting with the machine. My eyes scanned the colourful array of confectionery quickly, coming to rest on a tantalising rainbow-coloured bag of gummy bears with a simple white and red logo, Haribo, emblazoned across the bag in what appeared to be a slightly tweaked Helvetica-rounded font. Now I'd pause here in the story for a moment to underscore the importance of making proper choices. I was hungry. When you are hungry, you should eat food. Food is defined as a nutritious substance that people consume to maintain life. This is what food is. These days, the definition of the word food has been bastardised, and the meaning has been broadened to include include veritable 
any material that can be digested or rather chewed and swallowed without causing death or severe illness. Haribo sugar-free gummy bears are not food. They aren't even from this planet. I imagine their origins being conceived in a, a boardroom in hell by a top team of creative pain administrators. The team <coughs> and the demons rubbing their hands together in ghoulish light as hell's chef chemist slowly lifts the veil on their new creation. The point here being, I made a very, very, very poor choice. I pushed the button and the vending machine ejected the brightly coloured bag into my awaiting hands. I'd always liked gummy bears. They were bright, but rather innocuous. They weren't overly sweet, so as to become cloying, and of course each candy came in the visage of a rather happy docile bear, reminiscent of the pictures in one's mind's holds of all anthropomorphic bears from Yogi to Winnie. The way I figured it, I was taking a bit of, of a holiday from life so I could relax my fastidiously regimented daily schedule a little to allow some Oh, he relaxed more than that. He <laughs> real. After all, I was going to be in Amsterdam come morning with 16 hours to kill before I had to be training the Dutch employees. Maybe I would take a trip down to one of the coffee shops in the red light district and really let my hair down. No, I wouldn't do that. I would see that that area of the city from the bus as I went to the hotel, where I'd eat at the hotel restaurant and drink sparkling water. So I'd be so I'd better enjoy the gummy bears, my one extra, extravagance to commemorate my break from routine. I joined the queue in the KLM line, which was mercifully short, most likely because of all of the passengers from my flight had already been checked through as the flight was scheduled to depart in an hour. I checked my watch again, frowned and absently mind absentmindedly opened the bag of Harry Bow free Harry Bow sugar no. and began to munch on them as the line slowly advanced. To be fair, they tasted fine, just like every other manufacturer's brand of the colourful candy and they were mostly and most likely would would wouldn't have continued to shovel them in my mouth absentmindedly while daydreaming about what I would order to eat from room service in my hotel. Oh, no, sorry, if they had tasted off or different, I most likely wouldn't have continued to shovel them in my mouth absentmindedly while day while daydreaming about what I would order to eat from the from room service in my hotel in Amsterdam. As I gave the attendant my e-ticket and she weighed my bags, the first of the pains began in my stomach. I thought nothing of it, chalking it up to the fact I needed something more substantial than gummy worms to tackle my hunger. But over the course of the next five minutes, the shooting pains began to come in more rapid succession. At this point, I had my boarding pass printed and my rumbling stomach a little, and my printed my boarding pass printed and my rubbing and rubbing my stomach a little. I proceeded to security. I briefly entertained the thought of trying to find a restroom before going through security, but at that point my discomfort was manageable and I didn't think it was would get any worse, certainly <laughs> not within the amount of time it would have taken to clear security. I joined the line and started fishing for my passport to present the agent check-in tickets. I felt a thin sheen of sweat break out on my forehead and underarms and my features flushed for a moment as a wave of heat washed over me. I didn't pay much. I didn't pay much heed, as going through security always caused me great anxiety, and I talked it up to pre-flight jitters. Oh, yeah. It was stood face to face with the agent and handed her my passport and ticket that I glimpsed of the agony that was about to begin. I, it felt like time. It felt like time rippled for a moment, as if my consciousness buckled so intense was the pain that fired through my bowels. I grimaced. Spastically and emitted a low moan, I felt myself take an involuntary step sideways. Stars, slight cons, 
Stars shot through my head briefly and my vision blurred and then snapped back into focus. The agent was staring at me with a slight consternation and asked me if I was all right. I pulled myself together, stood up straight and declared that I was fine, mortified that I had a lapse of decorum, not only in public, but at the security clearance in an airport. As I fumbled off my See, belt. Now, to go, I got to interrupt, Lauren. At that moment, yeah. wouldn't you tell the people, no, I really got to poop? Yeah, I would. I'd, be like, I'm I not, mean, I'm I'd like, rather have them think I got to drop a deuce than think I'm some kind of fucking weirdo just like tweaking out well, wine. Well, let's just see what happens to him. Okay, continue. As I fumbled off my belt to go through the metals detector, the pain in my stomach increased, and I practically had to sit on the floor to take my shoes off. Terrified of what would happen if I bent at the middle to do it, it was becoming increasingly more evident to me that this wasn't just a stomachache. No, this was something much worse. As a child, I had a bout of diarrhoea after a trip to Mexico with my family. I remember the feeling of nausea that swept through me before before my child self had surrendered to the gas pains and parked myself on the toilet for an hour, shitting until I felt until I felt like I didn't have any bones left. <laughs> and that was how I was feeling with a several key difference. The pain was worse. The sense of impending bowel movement was so formidable. It gave me temporary amnesia. And it took all my willpower, all of it, to clench my butt cheeks together to prevent my sphincter from exploding. A sudden shock of pain wrapped my body and I half wondered if I was going to birth, give birth to a Tasmanian devil. The crazy <laughs> feature-induced image of said cartoon animal chasing Bugs Bunny through the splashy volcanic shit kettle that was in my stomach caused me to elicit a short manacled bark of laughter as I approached the metal detector. A wild distant look in my eyes, sweat now beginning to pour off me like a long-distance run- long runner. The security agent on the other side of the detector shot a quick glance over to her co-worker who narrowed her, his eyes and made a subtle movement towards his holster oh. my breathing became uneven as i entered the metal sector and i realized with alarm that i had taken off my socks without even registering it and one of the shirt tails was untucked at the front i held my breath my eyes bulging dangerously from my head as the machine scanned me as I shakily moved forward towards the agent for a pat-down, my stomach began to elicit sounds that I can only describe oh, as otherworldly. In shock, as I wa- as what I can only describe as the sound of agonised, wailing Annie Cat in heat, with a pers- persistent Doppler effect added to its voice, emitted from the nether region of my intestines. The eyes wide, the officer's eyes widened in alarm, and she kept her eyes glued to my stomach as though thoroughly patted me, as she thoroughly patted me down. As she reached my shins, I felt I suddenly I felt my innards suddenly expand and plummet towards my rectum. With cat-like reflexes, I squeezed my sphincter shut with what seemed like a nanosecond to spare. And I knew I knew that if I didn't get to the bathroom immediately, I would shit myself. <laughs> with I love that they're looking at him like he's John Hurt and alien with something about to burst out of his belly. <laughs> With a, her- with a Heraclean effort and all of the strength that I could muster, I forced my butt cheeks together, knowing that one false move would open the floodgates. I began to walk like a duck, trying to remain as inconspicuous as possible, not even caring now that what other people were seeing in front of them. A dishevelled, barefoot 40-year-old businessman, red-faced and bulgy-eyed, sweating profusely, shaking slightly and walking without bending his knees with single-minded intensity. I grabbed my carry-on 
shoes and socks from out of the plastic tub and uh, that had passed the x-ray inspection and without putting anything on I turned to my heels with the intention of finding the nearest restroom and slowly dying there one squirt at a time <laughs> but that's not what happened oh no <laughs> I turned to go and found myself staring at three armed agents who stopped me and asked if I would follow them why, what's the matter? I stammered, wincing slightly as the act of speech seemed to strain the tenuous and extremely fragile truce I had negotiated between my bowels and the tempest that raged within. I have to go to the bathroom right now. I pleaded, just, I pleaded, just follow us, they said, leaving no room for argument. The other travellers, clearing the security text, stared with curiosity and revulsion at the spectacle unfolding before them, whispering amongst themselves and hurrying to pack of their belong belongings to get far away from me as possible, no doubt assuming that the airport had nabbed some sort of domestic terrorist if I'd if I hadn't <clears throat> if I hadn't have been feverishly trying to hold back the eruption of Mount Vesuvius, I likely would have died of shame. With each step I took towards the room that they ushered me into, I felt that my legs would give way. I marvelled at how strong the human will could be, marvelled at what was essentially patching a hole in the Hoover Dam with bubblegum could actually be sustained indefinitely. No. Maybe I would make it through this ordeal after all. The room they brought me into was an examination room. I had pretty much stopped registering details of my environment as my consciousness closed of all the, all but the absolute necessary functions breathing ability to walk but I snapped back to reality when I heard the snap of rubber the slow dawning of realization poked through my agony and stoic resolve as I turned to face an agent dawning dawning rubber gloves oh god so, no we are going to perform. no don't we're not going there are we <laughs> a young fresh-faced agent stated in a firm but emotionless voice his short, cropped, blonde hair was immaculate, and for a crazy moment, I wondered if he was an actor. And this is all just some sort of elaborate practical joke done to amuse bored kids watching YouTube. No. He must have he must have taken my tortured silence for assistance because he looked at me sharply and said, lower your pants and underwear, please, and face the desk. Panic started to grip me in its icy grasp as the sudden adrenaline threatened to destroy my sphincter's bulk bulks and render my anus into... <laughs> I inhaled sharply and with a pained gasp, I doubled up my efforts to clench my cheeks together. Sir, please, I beg, I beg, deferring to this kid in action of desperation. Sir, please, I beg, deferring to this kid in an act of desperation. I have to go to the bathroom. You can follow me into the stall if you need, but I had some Harry Bow sugar thing <laughs> and now I feel, and now I feel like, but they had stopped listening and smirked at each other, two of the eight, at each other, two of the agents, a tall, dark-haired female and a shorter, balding fat man, looked away from me and I could see them shaking as they stifled their laughs. So face the wall and put your hands on the desk and spread your cheeks. The young agent stated, stated a lopsided grin on his face. But I began to protest and a fresh shock, shock of pain forced me to stop and lean, for, lean on the table for support as an ungodly howl rose from my stomach, something between the dying moans of a woolly mammoth and the sound of a bubble wrap popping underwater. I exhaled shakily and my focus began to narrow as I rallied for the final battle. Shaking uncontrollably and sweat literally raining down onto the tabletop in front of me, I turned to face the wall and heard a meek childlike voice pleading from somewhere in the room, please, it said, and then again, please. From somewhere within me, my mind recognised that this sound had issued from me. 
although my consciousness had now begun to separate from my body and I held my breath and prayed to God for my strength for strength he probably has has some heroin or something up there that opened up the female guard said as part of me as part of me that hadn't escaped into the ether yet acknowledged that she was behind me to my left probably as high as a kite look at him she said the shorter guard agreed with a snort off to my right spread your cheeks the young agent said his voice directly behind me and lower than the other two and bend over please god 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 i whispered in a desperate manical mantra not even aware of my surroundings anymore i felt like i I was lost in an opium fog but half snatched images and sounds filtering through to create a nonsensical version of reality Another volume of pain tore through me and I involuntarily leaned forward over the desk, my focus completely narrowed now to the spot on the wall two feet in front of me. A curious imperfection in what seemed to be whitewashed stone wall. It was a dark blotch about five millimetres long, shaped like a smiling bear, a yellow dancing bear, a green bear, no red. It was all the colours of the rainbow. My God, it was beautiful. It was just something as simple as a slight breeze to trigger armageddon that's all no trumpets no fanfare no fire raining from the heavens no dogs and cats living together in army no no finger on the button no prophet to predict it no nothing as i stared at the rainbow bear smiling and dancing in front of me my mouth agape drooling eyes glazed and bloodshot face coated with a sheen of sweat i heard the softest sound an exhalation ex exhalation from the young agent behind me and then at the same instant the warm air of his breath across my butt cheeks just a moment maybe less maybe a split second even a nanosecond i felt the presence of god there with me in the room and the neurons began to misfire at a blinding rate nerve endings bristled and muscles twitched reflective reflexively i stood on the brink with one foot hovering over the edge and then without taking a step i found myself plummeting with a sound like an extra large plastic ketchup bottle being run over by a mack truck my sphincter released. The pressure of the blast pushed me hard into the desk and the legs of, and the legs of the desk screeched as they scraped across the floor. My body remained rigid for a moment and I experienced a relief that can only be described as, as orgasmic thing, it's purity. My eyes rolled back in my head and my tongue rolled out of my head like a half-darted dog and I admitted a low, sustained groan that grew in pitch as the f- filthy torn pushed its way out of my body. <laughs> and I must have looked like a fish out of water with the endless stream of shit firing out of its ass. Oh, sorry. I must have looked like a fish out of water with an endless stream of shit firing out of its ass. Other sounds and sensations started filtering in now as my consciousness began to materialize once more. The muscle, muffled scream of a dungeon filled with prisoners near death radiated from my stomach. The rushing sound of litres of liquid trying to escape through an aperture too small to accommodate it all at the same time. The omnipresent sound of chunky liquids splattering against a hard surface with a great force. The high-pitched screaming of a woman's voice calling out to God. Another voice sobbing uncontrollably, imploring to make it stop, and my own ecstatic monotone wail. When my ordeal had eventually run its course, I was left panting for breath and wobbly left, half crying, half laughing, with a relief, barely lucid and feeling as if I had birthed an elephant. My column felt like someone had poured chilli sauce all over it and had sent it in, sent in a colony of fire ants to eat it. Through my sobs, I heard the sound of dripping, like when sprinklers are eventually turned off after an office fire or after a thunderstorm, when the willow that overhangs the pond 
continues to rain down long after the sky has stopped. From behind me, the sobbing continued, and I heard someone try to speak in, into a walkie-talkie, but nonsensical words were all that the man could speak, which sounded like the ravings of a lunatic. With great relief, I pulled myself off the table, legs trembling, my stomach eliciting one last sound and a long, prolonged gas bubble that eerily resembled a pig orgasm. I turned <laughs> I slowly turned my head to survey the devastation and in that instant if I had had a, had a pencil or some sharp object I probably would have gouged my eyes out in revulsion and the smell. The smell was enough to drive a man insane. It was it was the stench of rotting potatoes mixed with sulphur and ammonia cooked in broth of chicken feces that and left Ooh. to age in a yeasty stew at the bottom of a French outhouse. After half a whiff of this ghoulish brine, I immediately stopped breathing through my nose, but the taste was to remain in the back of my throat for months to come. The young agent had taken the brunt of the foul witch's brew, and at first I couldn't process what I was seeing. I thought somehow the kid, the blonde kid, had been dispersed away and replaced by a brown golem or an ATV rider that had spent the better part of the day driving through every mud puddle he could find after torrential downpour with some degrees of compartmentalization. I came to understand that for some unfathomable reason, the kid hadn't moved or hadn't been able to move through the entire vehicle deluge. He was he had weathered the entire assault head on like some sort of hero from Greek mythology. I had given this poor man shikpu cake that would make a Brazilian pornographer wretch with disgust. Uh, Lauren, that word is bukaki. <laughs> bukaki. Okay. I've never heard that word before. Well, you don't, don't look it up, please. No, um, this is a shit bukkake. Okay. One man shit bukkake. That would make a Brazilian pornographer wretch. That's an Easter egg that. right there, I'll tell you that. Oh, and he was still in the same position. He he must have been, been from the moment of his first impact. I tried to comprehend how he must be feeling, what he must be going through psychologically, but it evident, became evident very quickly he had tr- that he had become very broken no doubt for so deeply within himself once the fire hose had been turned on that there was little or no hope of him ever coming back from it certainly not without extensive psychotherapy or lobotomy I no he's beyond... done for yeah <laughs> i looked beyond his quivering catatonic crouch form to see a perfect line of him cut out on the white wall behind him either side filled in with dripping opaque layer of or alternately pulpy and runny fecal stew. I noticed how two perfect masses at either extremes of the room and realised they were humanoid in form, although the caterwauling that was coming from these broken creatures was just bubbling gibberish, and this was a tableau that was burnt into my mind's eye for eternity. Needless to say, I missed my flight. In fact, the next week is a blur. I have vague recollections of an army of hazmat-clad figures looming through the brown landscape of the soil room, the slopping sound of rubber boats squelching in puddles of fetid detritus, uncontrollable wailing and animal-like sounds issuing from the mouths of creatures that had been traumatised beyond their capacity for being put back together, the complete loss of sensation from my waist down as I was rolled through the room on a waterproof gurney, its wheels struggling to surf the top of the shit-soaked floor. I spent a week or so in the hospital, enclosed in a well-ventilated sealed room with a suited doctor coming in on the hour to monitor vital signs as they tried to rehydrate my body. I'd apparently expelled every drop of water from my body that was possible oh. to sustain life without, without to sustain life without for a short period of time, 
All my clothes were incinerated in the hospital's crematorium and the soil bag of Harry Bowles sugar-free gummy bears was never recovered. This is my story. It is inconceivable to think that this kind of product can be sold legally and misrepresented as food. I was lucky I survived. But as for the families of the survivors and the survivors themselves, they will, live, they will forever live with the trauma of events that took place at Pearson International Airport on that snowy day in April 2013. Oh, OK. Lauren, first off, he tried to warn him. <laughs> Did he not try to warn him? He said, I got poop. Let me poop. Second, and this is the last thing I'm going to say about it before I try to put this out of my mind. I will never call my job shitty again. <laughs> Actually, I lied. There's one more thing I'm going to say. Please, Lauren, do not look up the word bukkake. Anyway. Can we promise never to make me do that again? <laughs> to read a terrible one? Maybe not. Maybe we'll read, read some short ones. <laughs> I couldn't find a short one because all the other ones was like, this wasn't, they lied. This wasn't sugarless. And there was a hole in the bag. And then somebody who bought them noted, then, yeah, I think this was, um, yeah, the hole in the bag one. I think we discussed this last week where they kept, even though there's a hole in the bag, they kept eating them. And then they said at the end, hopefully this bag wasn't poisoned. I was like, why would you eat an open bag? Apparently... Maybe this guy was a terrorist because he did not drop a dirty bomb. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah, um, well, ladies and gentlemen, there you go. That's uh, uh, Lauren Reed's another Haribo disaster story. <laughs> Only on transatlantic history ramblings. Now, we got to go to our interview soon, Lauren. So, come on, give me your uh, give me a good day in history. Today in history. <laughs> All right, what you got for me? So mine is June the 6th, 1944. During World War II, Allied forces stormed the beaches of Normandy, France on D-Day as they began the liberation of German-occupied Western Europe. Do you know what the D stands for in D-Day? I was very disappointed to learn this. Uh, it stands for don't eat the gummy bears. <laughs> no, it stands for day. Day-Day? Day-Day. Okay. I think it stands for don't eat the gummy bears. Well, if we had that guy's if we had that guy's ass, that that battle would have been over no problems. Yes. All we needed to do was send that man in to the bunker. Well, you want to know my day in history, Lauren? Was it the same one? No. But it's one hundred years to the day before. Because on June sixth. 1844, George Williams in London, England, created the Young Man's Christian Association, known today as the YMCA. Now, do you think in 1844 he knew he was creating a gay culture icon? No. Or, or a Trump rally song. Somehow it's a gay power icon song, and Trump plays it at his rallies. I, I don't get it. But. What? That's bizarre. It is bizarre, but he always plays YMCA at all of his events. Now, Lauren, is it possible to say YMCA without making the hand signals? Yes. 
bullshit. I guarantee you we're spelling out YMCA as I said it. No. Which village person did you want to be, Lauren? None of them. You didn't want to be a construction worker? You know, my father used to yell at me when I was a kid that the, that the village people weren't gay. Yet they were openly gay and proud. And my father, because he liked them, wouldn't admit that they were gay. And he would make like all these just, they're not gay, they're manly men. That one's a cop. And that one's a construction worker. That must mean fun for him. Oh, denial is a wonderful thing. Well, on that note, Lauren, before, uh, you know, I did have some gummy bears before we went on the air today. So. so you do have to run off now. I do have to run off, but what do you say we fire up the magic interview box? It's the magic interview box. And uh, we're going to be right back with Neil and Kurt, and we're going to talk about the infamous Phoenix Lights incident. So, Lauren, go ahead and flip the switch. Oh, Lauren, Lauren, do you know what today is? Well, it's a bank holiday in the UK. <laughs> I only care about that because now I get them off. Now I don't work in retail. I get them off. It's also the return of the fearless foursome. That's right. Also, <laughs> all four in the house. We got Kurt, we got Neil, we got Lauren, and we got M- which means we're going down some kind of weird rabbit hole today. Yay! And as Neil was just on talking about scare ships and, like, UK phenomena, we got Kurt, our American weirdo expert, <laughs> to talk about <laughs> one of the strangest... Uh, recorded sightings in the history of the United States and one of the most witnessed yeah, sightings I, in the history of I the whole it, paranormal field. Kurt, I believe it's the most witnessed. About. We are going to be talking about the case of the Phoenix Lights, which a lot of people in the States here have heard of, but you guys over the pond, I'm not sure how much you've heard about it. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm have to admit, and I will admit this freely, I had heard of it, but I didn't know the details. So I've had a little refresher looking back. And when I look back, yeah, 97. And mm-hmm. and they show that, you know, if you look online, there's some of the sort of anniversaries since then, footage and looking back. But, yeah, I'm, I, my ears are open. I'm ready to learn more about this. But hopefully I can put some little sidelights on this phenomena from the UK, too. Awesome. Lauren, what about you? What do you know about the Phoenix Lights? Nothing. I I don't really. um, I honestly, I don't have very much interest in UFOs. (laughs) Well, well, at least the ones in America. See, Lauren, what you don't know, folks, is we all chat a little bit before we go on the air. And Lauren was bitching about America. I was, yeah. She was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's, oh, I, it's just seeing people on their time going, I'm doing an MA and I'm getting comments like, you don't need to do independent research for this. And I'm like, I'd love to have had that comment. I had to do independent research for even the ones that were 1,500 words. I thought we did have to do that, but maybe we don't. I, I don't we know. used to have to. 
don't Unless know. it's one of those bargain courses that you, you, you can submit it if you want, but, you know, just pay your $25 and you get a master's. Like Trump University was. I, I'm not going <laughs> yeah. anywhere near this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it was. Do, do you remember Trump University? Uh, uh, no. But he set up a university. So staying away. <laughs> where you literally could, like, you know, just pay so much. It was like one of those, like, Phoenix University online course things. Yep. Except nothing was accredited. There was no actual grading system. No one ever received anything from it except bills for their <laughs> tuition. Yeah, there's a few of them going around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you, that I'm sure at that school you could have uh, done it without independent research. I'm not and, <laughs> or, and or any research. In, on not needing independent research. I just meant it was an online school. And speaking of Phoenix, let's get off of this so we're not held liable for anything. Oh. <laughs> Speaking of Phoenix, the Phoenix Lights. All right. I have my notes that we actually used in our episode on the Phoenix Lights. I uh, went through it this week and just kind of cleaned it up a little bit, so I'm going to try to keep it short. But it's kind of a lengthy story. But the Phoenix Lights have been called the greatest mass UFO sighting in history. It's believed that thousands of people witnessed the phenomena that night. And they don't really have an accurate number, so accounts vary from hundreds to over 10,000. It could easily be over 10,000 people. One of the reasons that so many people witnessed this was because many people in Arizona and elsewhere that night were outside looking at the sky because the Hale-Bob Comet was coming in. So people wanted to go out and see the Hale-Bob Comet, so everybody was already outside looking up when this happened. Eyes were on the sky. Yeah. Yep. So the story of the lights begins at 6.55 p.m. on the night of March 13, 1997. I was a young 27-year-old man back in those days. I remember when this came out. Uh, and there's kind of some weird stuff about that, but we'll get to that too. Most people agree, though, that there were two separate events to this that happened within a few hours. So at 6.55 p.m., a man in Henderson, Nevada, reported seeing a V-shaped object flying overhead. He said that the craft was around the size of a 747 or a large passenger jet, and it was making something, uh, making a sound that sounded something like rushing wind, and it had six lights on its leading edge. So it was making like a rushing wind sound. It had these lights, and a lot of the accounts I... I I read called it like a boomerang shaped craft. Yeah. And the thing is for this first, the first thing that happened, what I'm talking about right now, there is no video, no video footage anywhere of this. All the video footage is of, is of the second part that happened later. So there's no video footage of this craft, but again, thousands or possibly 10,000 people saw this thing happen. Okay. At 8.15 p.m., an unidentified former police officer from Paulden, Arizona, was driving when he saw what he described as a cluster of reddish or orange lights in the sky made up of four lights together and a fifth light trailing them. According to former police officer, each of the individual lights in the formation appeared to consist of two separate point sources of orange light. The witness returned home and continued to watch the lights through binoculars until they disappeared south over the horizon. 
Around 8.17 p.m., multiple calls started coming in from residents of Prescott and Prescott Valley, Arizona, which is about 200 miles southeast of Henderson, which is where the sighting started. I couldn't get any solid numbers, but it's reported that a whole lot of people called in reporting a craft in the sky with five lights. Wow. Callers, re- yeah, callers reported that the lights were definitely a solid object because whatever it was, it was blocking out the stars behind it. A man named John Kaiser, along with his wife and sons, noticed a cluster of lights to the west-northwest of their position in Prescott Valley. The lights formed a triangular pattern, all of them appearing to be red, except the light at the nose of the object, which they said was a bright white. The object, or objects, which had been observed for approximately two to three minutes with binoculars, then passed directly over the family, turned to the right, and then disappeared in the night sky to the southeast of Prescott Valley. They couldn't determine the altitude of the object, but said that it was fairly low and it made no sound whatsoever. Wow. So you're seeing, you know, this thing is on a course from Nevada going over Arizona, and so many people are seeing this thing. Okay. My question is, shouldn't it be going from Arizona to Nevada because the aliens would want to gamble? That's true. Vegas. Or they lost at gambling and they're just getting out of Dodge. Because what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. That's true. That is true. But, But. uh, yeah, I don't know if either of you, Neil or Lauren, have seen the photos of this. Yeah, I've I've seen them. And and it's interesting that they appear to either be a solid craft or a solid craft that that can metamorphose. Yes. it It almost looks like the body of like a flying V guitar. Yeah. Yeah. It's solid like that, and it's kind of shaped like like that. Um, I don't want to say it's like a perfect V. It's kind of like, I guess the best way I can describe it is like, if anybody knows what a flying V guitar looks like, the body of it without the neck, that's what it looks like. Yeah, and and we'll talk about this later, but something actually happened this week here in the States that came out in the news, and there's a photo of it, and it looks like a, a triangular-shaped craft. It looks like the same thing. But during the Prescott sightings, the National UFO Reporting Center received the following report from a Prescott area man. He said, quote, while doing astrophotography, I observed five yellow white lights in a V formation moving slowly from the northwest across the sky to the northeast, then turn almost due south and continue until out of sight. The point of the V was in the direction of the movement. The first three lights were in a fairly tight V, while two of the lights were further back along the lines of the V's legs. During the northwest to northeast transit, one of the trailing lights moved up and joined the three and then dropped back to the trailing position. So again, this one is this is weird because it's like it's like it, it left its position, went to the front, and then went back to its yeah. position. Yeah. Which if it was a solid craft wouldn't happen but this uh, it, could be it's like something out of star wars isn't it with like yeah. some sort of little yeah. pod coming off going back and joining it i mean it's, it's, yep I, I can't think of any aircraft but that, that works like that that we this also kind of gives well. it gives credibility to the theory that it was airplanes that it wasn't a ufo that it was just airplanes because that is one of the theories, is that people just saw airplanes flying in formation. Well, like the blue, what do they call them? The blue uh, riders or whatever, the ones that we do the The blue angels? The, yeah, the blue angels. Yeah. yeah. Fine. Yep. Why would they be at night, which they don't do? No. Yeah. 
No. And, and people were talking about no the sound. moon being, or what they could see in the sky, the light in the sky being blocked out. Yes. And there's a lot of, there are a lot of people that said that, that you could not see the sky, you couldn't see the stars in between the lights, but on the other hand, maybe the lights themselves were blinding you to the stars yeah. behind them. But there, we get there's some other reports coming up in here that are, that you know, get kind of get into this. But shortly after the Prescott sightings, six people saw a large cluster of lights while driving northbound on Highway 69 in the town of Dewey, which is 10 miles east of Prescott. And this one is weird. Another sighting had a mother and her four daughters witness this craft hover over them, completely quiet. And they said that the craft would occasionally shoot beams of white light down at the ground beneath it. Which has been, it's been reported in some UFO cases. People seeing this white light shoot down at the ground. Yeah, we've had the Rendlesham incident, for example, 1980, the classic. For some it's called Britain's Roswell. Yep. And the, the service personnel who were present there were talking of beams that were spotted and that, you know, a beams yeah. of light appearing in front of them. So, yeah, most yeah. certainly the beam of light is not just something we see in sci-fi no. films. We did an episode about that on our on the Strange Sessions. And I think the Rendlesham Forest sightings, I think that was one of the best UFO sightings, I think, in history. I, I really I think, think it second. was. I really do. In Britain, certainly it's second to none in in the British experience. Of well, Rendlesham, yeah, yeah, Rendlesham freaks me out because all the witnesses are military. Yeah, yeah, which are usually the ones covering up the shit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and in exactly. that case, they're the witnesses saying, "Okay, something really fucked up happened here, folks." Yeah, yep. But with with the Phoenix lights, I Kurt, I like you remember this night that it happened because I was working overnights at the time. Which meant I was listening to the radio, listening to the Art Bell show the night this happened. And but what's interesting? What's oh, interesting about this is that it didn't happen. It happened like two years or a year before there was any news about it. Yeah, but that the is, night it happened. Art was getting calls yes. about it. Yeah, and that's we're going to get into that later with the weirdness about this. But this happened a year or two before there, anything came out about it and it's it was weird but then the the story that came out this week that i'm going to talk about later is the same thing where it happened a year or two ago and it's just coming out now so, the, so the, there were people that got some footage of the phoenix lights yes but the, was there a news block or will we be coming on to that a little bit later we don't know. We don't know if there was a news block. The footage that people have is of, is of the second event. There's nobody that has footage of the first event, which is strange to me because so many people saw this first event. You know, when the when the people saw yeah. it hover over them and go across the sky. There were so not quite so many film cameras around. I was going to say, 90, yeah, you're right, Neil. Perfect. In 97, yeah. people got to put their minds back. Most cell phones were flip phones or Blackberries. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and oh, not everybody had. So I didn't have a cell phone in 97. Well, if you had a phone that could take a film in 97, that would that's real or even take a photograph. That's that's Yes. Yeah. yeah I didn't even have a cell phone in 97. The and reason why the, the reason why there's so much uh, footage of the second part is because it lasted longer. And, and the second part just kind of hovered there. So people were able to get their cameras and take footage of the second part. Well, but but this, this first part. Yeah. Not everybody owned 
uh, a video camera. Plenty yeah. of people had a very, be it an SLR or, or a Polaroid camera of sorts. But when it came down, if, if you wanted to take moving footage of something, it would be a video camera. And the chances are this would be a, not the most compact device. <laughs> Back in 97, they weren't. They were pretty bulky. You know, and if you want to get anything that's reasonable on a home based device, well, you're not used to having a zoom. So that's a problem. It's, it's a fixed lens. It would be like the standard sort of thing you'd get on an SLR camera. Yeah. Or of of the day, like an Olympus OM10 or you know Nikon or wherever. So if you haven't got the right lens for your video camera to get in close, you're getting dots in the sky. And in '96 and '97 there were lights. Now then, I'm not comparing them to the Phoenix phenomena, but there were lights over Great Britain. And what happened here? I saw. I saw. I was over the moon. I was overjoyed. When I saw that there was a Tic Tac captured on a, on a, on a government film, uh, the Pentagon has had to admit to it and release it formally after it was leaked. I've seen it. I've seen a Tic Tac. I've seen this thing that's as, it looked as big as a, a motor car in the sky, if not a little bit bigger. And that was in 96, 97. And the thing went over, stopped the car and at an incredible speed. These lights were also seen over the city of Norwich, which is in East Anglia in Great Britain, and seen over the Wash. And they claimed the, the, the files have now been released from the MOD where they said, look, we need to crush this immediately. Uh, keep it down. So they, they always worry about panic. I don't know quite why there is quite such a worry about panic over UFOs, but there seems to be. And they, and they just want to quash it right and we, they said it was the reflection. Now, in across this area called the Wash, big open area of water, is Lincolnshire. And there's this tall church tower, almost like a cathedral. And it's called Boston Stump. And they said the lights were caused by a reflection from the top of Boston Stump over Norfolk. Yeah, yeah, it's really a reflection that I can see flying at a, fin- <laughs> a phenomenal speed over me yeah. with a with a, an aircraft from my way of Coldershaw, a fighter aircraft in pretty close pursuit. One peeling off one way, one going zip zip over a pe- set of fir trees, then suddenly pinging off at 90 degrees. You know, th- this aircraft cannot even touch it for speed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, we were anybody that saw that and most of the people of the city of Norwich that were out and about were seeing weird lights at that time too. So that does amount to probably hundreds, uh, if not thousands. That well, you know, stuff. let's face it, Neil, it wasn't a reflection. We all know it was swamp gas. Yeah, yeah, ball lightning, as the dear, our dear Ozzy Osbourne would say. Well, that was yeah. like when they, they tried saying that the Rendlesham light was uh, the lighthouse that was there, oh, that, they were, mist- yeah. that they were mistaking the lighthouse. It's absolute rubbish. And I, I'm working on a project which actually charts the history of UFOs in the UK. And I've reached out via a good friend of mine, um, David Young, who's a, another wonderful podcaster, who has worked with con- worked with others to stage conferences involving some of the witnesses. And he's very kindly put me in touch with Colonel Charles Holt, who I've I've been able to speak to the man. Uh, I'm honoured to be called, asked to, he said, call me Chuck. 
and I'm honoured to know that this wonderful, wonderful man, a senior military officer, absolutely straight talking, straight down the line. His story's never diversified. Uh, You don't make this stuff up. No, that's amazing that you talk to him. Oh, well, and and he's very happy because we want to tell it, tell the story. Yeah. Tell it, tell it the way it was by the senior man on, on the scene. There there you go. That's awesome. He, he's awesome. But, you know, all of the team that I've spoken to involved with the research of, uh, at Rendlesham, I've also reached out to uh, Brenda Butler, who, along with Dot and with Jenny Randalls, wrote one of the first books on that as well. And, and Brenda's been really brilliant. So, yeah, there's a lot, a lot of really good people. And I'm sure that's the same case. You know, you've got really ordinary folks. But OK, we're dealing with 1997. We don't have the tech that we have nowadays yep. that we can just press a button and hold your camera to the sky and get a pretty darn good high res image because the the, the ca- cameras on phones now are utterly incredible. Um, I forgot that there was a show called UFO Hunters. Oh, that yeah. used to be on the History Channel, which was actually a great show. And yesterday I was looking for something, a documentary to watch about the Phoenix Lights, and I watched their episode about uh, the Phoenix Lights. And, oh, and you could see that people have, like, the, the big cameras, and they're trying to zoom in on the lights, and it's just blurring it. But, yeah. So, so my it, question is, uh, being an American, what kind of gun do you need to UFO hunt? <laughs> um, I don't know. That I don't know. Uh, I, 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 I would risk it. <laughs> Because if you remember, they had a whole loads of lights come over. Where was that in wartime? There was a yes. whole. Was it the Battle of? And it was over one of your American cities, which had anti-aircraft gun capabilities. And you can see that the flashes on the footage of still photographs that I've seen, flashes in the sky. And this. You've got lights all over the place. What, what on earth is going on up there? I don't know. So what caliber do you want? I don't think we've got a weapon capability no. that we can really deal with that. So guess what? Good old H.G. Wells. He predicted that over 100 years ago. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I always think about our episode about the Hopkinsville encounter the kelly hopkinsville encounter with the where that family in the farmhouse saw the little the goblins like the little uh green goblins and they tried shooting them with a shotgun and it just made a metallic sound and it caused them to somersault backwards and then run away so that's what i think aliens would do too i I don't uh, think they would do anything i do want to point something out to our uk listeners or australian listeners or anybody outside of the u.s and that is the area these happened, you know, it's called the Phoenix Lights, but it really wasn't Phoenix proper so much as it was communities and cities around that area. And, and for the benefit of those listening, that area all the way to Nevada is desert area. Yeah. Which means almost perfect visibility at night. It's not like a city where things are obstructed. And like if it was the, the shit was flying over my town, chances are most people wouldn't even see it. Yeah, because the lights of the city and the uh, pollution and fog and but this area of the country is pure country. It's desert. It's you know it's the the stereotypical. You look in the night sky and see a million stars. 
That's where this happened. It was like the uh, perfect location yep. for this many people to see it. I think having talked about the military as credible witnesses, well, I think I'll have to put my two penneth in here that we mustn't forget that over Nevada, it is genuinely a, a training area for. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Top secret military yep. aircraft and technology. Yeah. Also, the area in Arizona where they were, there's there's training grounds there, so it could yeah. very easily have been that. Yeah, but because the size of this stuff, of the kind of place is incredible. It yeah. Itself yeah. To it's away from everything. It's a middle of nowhere type of thing. Yep. But uh, still, the no sound freaks me out. No. Even though I'm the skeptic, the no sound. It freaks you out. If it was the blue, if it was the blue angels or whatever they're fucking yep. called, the blue dolphins, there'd be um, a lot of sound. A lot of sound. I've been to air shows. That shit's loud. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So around 8:20 p.m., reports of the light formation began to come in from the Phoenix area, including Tempe and Glendale. Uh, Brian, you might remember this trivia question. There are reports that one of the very first people to call in a sighting of the strange lights over Phoenix was a civilian pilot. Do you remember who that was? I don't. It was the actor Kurt Russell. Kurt, Kurt Russell, Russell was yes. <laughs> Kurt Russell was one of the first people to call in. In an interview on the BBC, he said, "Quote: I was flying my son Oliver to go see his girlfriend, and we were on an approach." I saw six lights over the airport in an absolute uniform V-shape. I was coming in. We we're maybe half a mile out, and Oliver turned to me and said, Pa, what are those lights? Then I kind of came out of my reverie and said, I don't know what they are. He said, are we okay here? And I said, yeah, I'm going to call it in. And I reported it. So he reported the sighting to Sky Harbor Airport. He of didn't course think any- they were okay. He yeah. was a Pliskin. That's right. Out <laughs> nope. Nope. I heard he was dead. Uh, he, he, he didn't think any more about the sighting until two years later when he walked in on his wife, Goldie Hawn, watching a TV show about the Phoenix Lights. When they mentioned the civilian pilot calling in, he realized that that was him, even though he had apparently forgotten all about the sighting. And one of the weird things about this sighting, I don't know if I'm going to get to it or not, is that a lot of people – don't remember it, but then remembered it when they heard more about it. Almost like there was some weird mind zap amnesia thing going on with a lot of these people. You know, and Kurt Russell said that same thing, like he completely forgot about it. So that that was one of the unusual things about this. I'll tell you another unusual thing. And this is, again, for listeners outside of the United States. So much of the attitudes of Americans these days, especially, are based on their political leanings. Yes. And people that tend to be more liberal or, or to the left are the ones who are believers or studiers of this type of phenomena, whereas conservatives and right wing people tend to be total poo pooing of it. Kurt Russell's about as right wing conservative as you get. <laughs> yeah, he is. Yeah. He is like an ultra right wing conservative guy, which is odd because John Carpenter, who's about as far left as you can get, is his best friend. But they always talk about that, that they're such polar opposites. So Kurt Russell yep. also does not fit the stereotype of someone who's going to report this type of thing. Yep. Then around 8.30 p.m., Tim Lay and his wife Bobby, his son Hal, and his grandson Damien first saw the lights when they were above Prescott Valley, about 65 miles away from them. 
At first, the lights appeared to them as five separate and distinct lights in an arc shape, like they were on top of a balloon, but they soon realized that the lights appeared to be heading towards them. Over the next ten minutes or so, the lights appeared to come closer, the distance between the lights increased, and they took on the shape of an upside-down V. Eventually, when the lights appeared to be a couple of miles away, the witnesses could make out a shape that they said looked like a 60-degree carpenter square, with the five lights set into it, with one at the front and two on each side. Soon, the objects with the embedded lights appeared to be coming right down the street where they lived, about 100 to 150 feet, or 30 to 45 meters, above them, traveling so slowly that it appeared to hover and it was absolutely silent. The object then passed over their head and went through a V opening in the peaks of the mountain range towards Squaw Peak Mountain and towards the direction of Phoenix Sky Harbor International Airport. Witnesses in Glendale, a suburb northwest of Phoenix, saw the object pass overhead at an altitude high enough to become obscured by the thin clouds. This was approximately between 8.30 and 8.45. At 8.35, a woman named Ozma Linderman and her boyfriend were walking out of her apartment. She noticed strange lights in the sky and pointed them out to her boyfriend. According to their report, there were five red lights in a V formation that had perfect spacing between them, and the space between the lights blacked out the stars as it moved by, never making a sound. Then, the lights hovered for a second, changed shape into a red oval, and they said it then shot straight up into the sky and disappeared. Which is weird. <laughs> That's that really weird. Couple things. One, the fact that you said obscured by clouds. I must have to. I do have to say it's probably the most underrated Pink Floyd album. Um, <laughs> obscured by clouds. Great album. I don't care what anybody says. Two. Um, Glendale is a is a city. It, yeah. It's a major city. So when someone gives a report, now this is one of the things I have a problem with. When they give the report that it was 100 to 150 feet high, you can't judge that. That's almost impossible to judge something above you to see how high it is. It's just a weird thing. So yeah, but this was this one was odd to me because I remember this one because they described the lights as red and changing position, yeah. but never color. All the other people say they go from white to orange, right to yep. red. There was a couple that yep. said blue, but this one was a solid color that changed shape. So I don't even know if this was the same thing as the other ones. Yeah, I don't know. Have uh, you ever seen there were certain lights? If you stand in one position, because they are iridescent of some in some way, that they will look more, say, purple from one angle. And then when you look at them from a different angle they can look more yellow well lord knows what the technology were i mean for a lot of people if you've ever seen a an unidentified flying object uap you're not you're not actually really for most ordinary people you're not expecting to see it and so i i feel really sorry uh, you know I, i i have an idea of how high this thing was flying up but you're right brian you can't easily judge a height but of course for a newspaper article or for some sort of coverage they're going to be asking those people how high was it and these poor folks well i don't know how high do you think i don't 500 foot thousand foot up 100 foot up it's it's really hard for those folks and my heart genuinely and sympathies goes out to anybody that because you you just 
you don't know how you are reacting to it. And also you don't know how the retina in your eyes will actually read the light that's coming down towards you. Mm-hmm. There was a difference in the colour of lights reported by some, between some of the witnesses at Rendlesham too. You'll hear that the, at one moment it's, it's it's red. That's pretty much generic is is the red. But then when it bursts into different shapes, some into the smaller circle it's going off. Sometimes they're white, sometimes they're red. Mm-hmm. You know the only quote unquote UFO I've ever seen, and I don't claim that I think it was a, of alien origin. I think it was of military origin, judging by where I saw it, was a very unnatural color turquoise. Yeah. And it was unnatural. It's like, I've never seen a turquoise quite like that before. And I live in Native American territory. So turquoise jewelry is a big thing here. We see natural turquoise all the yeah. time. I've seen that. Yeah, beautiful. So I know the color turquoise, and this was that, but it was an unnatural, almost neon turquoise. It was weird. And it was the only thing I ever saw. <laughs> um, but I can tell you, I've never seen another light of that shade or color on anything. Well, I think it's it's fair to say that one of the dreams of military stealth technology is a cloaking device. You know, cloaking, they've been trying to work on that really since World War Two, when they've got this idea of what they call window. Now, window can be dropped from an aircraft and they are strips of silver, uh, like t- tin foil, really silver foil strips of this stuff. And you drop it. And on a radar of that time, of World War Two vintage, all of those strips would make it look like one black blob. So they would not be able to see the exact locations of the aircraft. Now, if you could do that then, with the modern technology that, that's at our disposal, the, the incredible advances of technology, I dare say, and I don't know for sure, but I dare say there have been all sorts of attempts at cloaking devices and uh, since that, since World War II, and it's developed a long way. So some of these lights will, I think, be, if it's military, it wouldn't surprise me if they are using lights. And, and, and in fact, they do want people to write in and say what they saw. <laughs> what, one of the big questions, though, is if it's a UFO, why does it need lights? I mean, if it's if why would it need lights like we need here if it's capable of traveling wherever it came from to come here. A lot of people say that the fact that you see lights on it just shows that it's a either a government aircraft or just a mistaken aircraft. Or the light is just we're seeing in their windows. Possibly. But so, I uh, 60s, 70s uh, in some of that, because they were always looking through the portholes to see who was there. Yeah. Like, can you see yeah. movement? But what's interesting is if you are trying to take a, a stealthy uh image now let's just suppose now it doesn't have to be earth technology it doesn't have to be extraterrestrial technology but if you are trying to do a sort of google earth examination of an area then you would need multiple cameras possibly fixed and uh, they might appear to have a light inside them 
That's true. And the shape of this thing is kind of reminiscent of the stealth bomber. Yep. Which was known at the time. I mean, I know a lot of you, you see a lot of like 60s UFO sightings that people draw the picture of what they saw. And it turns out to be literally the stealth bomber that the U.S. was testing at the time. But yes. by 97, we knew what that was. But it still does kind of have that shape. But it people does. would recognize that shape by then, especially in 97. The stealth armor was a big deal. Yeah. Well, so it, it, it's intriguing, isn't it? But if you think about some of the early reports of UFOs in the golden age of flying saucer, 50s, 60s, there are accounts where the stuff from very good, reliable people, where the things look like something out of a, a TV show. They come down, they've got tripod legs they've got a little red flashing light on the top of an aerial on top but the twister could be and this is just a suppose well suppose the aliens think oh yeah well we'll, this is what they think we look like (laughs) we'll we'll our aircraft oh well we'll use our cloaking device to look like that because they know that's a ufo our technology would just freak them out so much. Arthur C. Clarke said, and I praise C. what he said, but he said, if if you see technology, if you witness technology beyond your current comprehension, it will appear as magic or witchcraft. Or something we couldn't understand. Uh, Neil yeah. deGrasse Tyson famously said, of all the science fiction alien invasion movies, the one that probably would be the most realistic is The Blob. Something that's so forward and weird that we couldn't yeah. even explain it. Yeah, or The War of the Worlds, you know? I mean, that, that was H.G. Wells, but this idea, very much where we started. Conversely, uh, there's been an awful lot of literature about aliens being quite dangerous and uh, a threat. Alien invasion, oh dear, and invasion of the body snatchers. Well, there is the ancient alien argument, which part of me quite likes. I'm not going to. Pref- I'm not going to come down on any side on this, but I think it's a nice argument to consider that maybe. And this goes, we were talking about dear old W. Raymond Drake last time, Brian. It was lovely to share a, a love of his literature. And it is the ancient astronaut theory, which I mean, Raymond Drake predates Eric von Daniken and a, a lot of later comers. But he was certainly one of the very first in the English language. Raymond Drake, a lot of very original research into this area, into very ancient texts from around the world. And it does make you wonder. Were there people that came down and showed us how to build pyramids? Pyramids that when the Romans arrived thought, oh, that's what are they? (laughs) We don't. Romans never built a pyramid, to my knowledge. Their tech was fantastic, but there are no Roman pyramids. Go to, you know, Central America, go to some of these wonderful countries where there are rainforests with ancient civilizations okay where's that tech come from and i, I think there's a lot of 
Yeah, there's a lot of good arguments for the ancient alien or the yeah the ancient aliens or ancient yeah. astronauts theory. But, I think there's a lot of good arguments for it. You know, we had uh, one of the 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 experts on the Aztecs on our show, and, and her argument against the ancient alien thing was it, it's kind of insulting to say that these people couldn't have developed technology. Yeah. Oh, ab- absolutely. I mean, it, you know, it's rather like the Romans were very, very advanced, but those that came after and occupied Roman dwellings didn't use them in the same way and didn't adopt and adapt and move forward that technology. But that's, that's, because, and, the technolo- that's, that's because the technology became restricted absolutely. to those that could read and absolutely. it then fell into the hands of the church. So it's not. So it's. I, yeah, again, I agree that it's kind of insulting to say that these people couldn't have thought of it by themselves and done Absolutely it by themselves. Absolutely right. Absolutely. It's why, it's why everything is is possible. But well, it, it, there is a chance that also that maybe we as a human race, not just one particular people, because if you look at the evolution of pyramids and huge structures and early engineering, It's also equally arrogant to think that maybe we to completely rule out that we as a human race didn't have a helping hand. Well, and that's the thing. That's where I'm with Neil is that if there is. But we do think she had a helping hand. That's what we're listening about. (laughs) Well, yeah, but like I said, I'm with Neil on the fact that if there is an alien subject to to believe and as a skeptic i really don't believe in any of them i don't rule them out completely it's just i don't believe in any of them till i have the right evidence i would like to believe the ancient alien thing because i would much rather believe they're helpful aliens who want to help us develop technology than the fucking the fuckers in v that wanted to eat us yeah (laughs) i'd rather be the aliens that built pyramids than the ones that want to use me as an hors d'oeuvre very true a big hors d'oeuvre I, I think it's I mean it's a we're in, it's a huge 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 universe I dare say there are multiple universes um I, I just I just find it really hard to think that we are literally alone I don't believe for a second we're alone I, whether or not we've been visited is what I have a problem believing that, oh, I'm sure there's probably a million planets in the galaxy that have life of some kind. Yeah. But that doesn't mean they're coming here. True. True. Especially if so if you think about how insignificant a place we are in the universe. For them to even find us would be a miracle. Yeah, and like people say, when you're walking down the sidewalk, do you stop and look at every anthill that you pass? You don't. Like, so they could just fly past us and not even bother stopping. But we do have disco. We yeah, do. we do. We yeah, do. We do. Yeah. We, we've, we've had Barry White, Isaac Hayes, you, you know, you, you've got Elvis. I mean, come on, come on. In the, in the, in the universe of great things, you know. Yeah, not to mention. Jack King Cole, you know, you know, Glenn Miller, come on. Some of our radio waves from back in the day are probably hitting their planets right now, and they're liking some of our older stuff. Oh, wouldn't that be great if it was like Galaxy Quest that someone built their entire civilization based on our reruns? I'm liking that. 
One of the things that I love that I want to do a side sessions about is the what's the name of the ship that has the gold record on it that has is um, it Voyager? Yeah, Yeah. like I love that idea that it's got that record on there of people saying hello in all different languages and it's got like a Chuck Berry song. Yeah, and if it came back to Earth now, only the hipsters would be able to play it. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's right. (laughs) Okay, going going back to my Phoenix lights here. Yes. Uh, according to the website UFOinsight.com, an article titled, quote, The 1997 Phoenix Lights, a case study, another woman, this time in Chandler, to the southeast of Phoenix, claimed that her nine-year-old daughter had seen a, quote, traveling beam of light moving through her bedroom. The craft was also witnessed by her neighbors, Don and his wife, Grace, as it passed over their homes. They would claim to see seven orange lights in a triangular formation on the underside of a solid structure made up of what they called large gray panels. As they watched, one of the lights detached and moved to the right of the object. It then returned and then redocked with the huge craft. They, too, recalled no sound whatsoever despite the low altitude of the craft and the huge size of it. The Davis Monthan Air Force Base in nearby Tucson checked and said that it had no planes flying at that time, and the Phoenix Airport reported not picking up any aircraft on radar. Around 8.45 p.m., a report of lights in the sky is received from a man in Tucson, 100 miles southeast of Phoenix. According to the report, the lights were visible for around 10 minutes before they disappeared behind the Santa Catalina Mountains, and that was it for the first that was it for the first sighting. And they, they said that they figured it out that the craft uh, crossed Arizona in 106 minutes. That's that's how long it took for that for it to cross Arizona. So that was the first the first incident of the Phoenix Lights night. Well, Arizona is a big state. It is. Um, but 106 minutes is an awful long time for something that. If you think it could come from outside of the solar system, but everything is everybody's also talking about it going slowly over their yeah. homes and well, stuff like that. It, if you scan something, mm-hmm. yeah, you go yeah. scan it, you slip a photograph on it. It's not fast, is it? Yeah, like like so, the light that the girl saw in her room. Yeah. So Lord knows how these lights and beams are working, how far across they're spreading, you know. It could be absolutely incredible what that was taking in. It could be a reading that was going really, really. We don't know. We really don't know. Incredible. But that was that was the first sighting, and that's the one that we have no footage of. So then around 10 o'clock p.m., the second event happened. A huge wave of sightings were reported over Phoenix by thousands of people. Witnesses saw the lights remain in the air over Phoenix for an unusually long amount of time. And this is what the the footage of the Phoenix lights comes from, where you see the footage of the lights in the sky. Uh, And where people didn't really have time or forethought or devices to capture any video or photos during the first session, a lot of people managed to get footage this time. What people witnessed and what shows up in a lot of the videos of the event shows what appear to be an arc of lights appearing one by one and then going out one by one, like some form of running light or other typically seen aircraft illumination along the leading edge of a large craft, which in this case was estimated to be as large as a mile in diameter and directly hovering over the city of Phoenix. 
According to Wikipedia, other similar sequences reportedly taken over that half-hour period showed differing numbers of lights in a V or arrowhead array. Thousands of witnesses throughout Arizona also reported a silent mile-wide V or boomerang-shaped craft with varying numbers of huge orbs. A significant number of witnesses reported that the craft was silently gliding overhead at low altitude. The first-hand witnesses consistently reported that the lights appeared looking as, quote, canisters of swimming light, while the underbelly of the craft was said to be an undulating thing that was like you were looking through water. The lights also appeared to wink out in a mysterious manner. When the triangular formation entered the Phoenix area, Bill Grenier, a cement driver hauling a load down a mountain north of Phoenix. Sorry, somebody somebody had a really loud motorcycle inside my apartment. Okay. Uh, when the triangular formation entered the Phoenix area, Bill Grenier, a cement driver hauling a load down a mountain north of Phoenix, described the second group of lights saying, quote, I'll never be the same. Before this, if anybody had told me they saw a UFO, I would have told them, yeah, and I believe in the tooth fairy. Now I've got a whole new view, and I may just be a dumb truck driver, but I've seen something that doesn't belong here. He stated that the lights hovered over the area for more than two hours. And that was the second. That was the second one that we have footage of. Not long after the Phoenix Light sightings, Arizona Governor Fife Symington III, I love that name, Fife Symington III, held the infamous press conference where he said he investigated the case and he managed to catch the guilty party, after which his aide was brought out onto the stage wearing an alien costume. While the audience laughed and a lot of people thought this was funny, a lot of other people were understandably pissed. They felt like this was diminishing the incident and that it was making the people who witnessed the lights look stupid. And that was a big thing. Like, I remember I remember that, too. I remember the press conference. Yeah. And I remember thinking at the time it's funny and it's cute and it shows that a politician has a sense of humor. But at the same time, you just insulted 10,000 voters who reported this. Yep. Yep. You just called them fucking weirdos. Yep. It was a bad move. It was. Uh, Symington later stated that as a public official, he felt a responsibility to avert any kind of public panic and made an attempt to introduce some humor into the situation. But in March of 2007, Symington went on record to say that he had witnessed one of the crafts of unknown origin during the event, although he didn't go public with the information before it. In an interview with the Daily Courier in Prescott, Arizona, he said, quote, I'm a pilot and I know just about every machine that flies. It was bigger than anything that I've ever seen. It remains a great mystery. Other people saw it, too. Responsible people. I don't know why people would ridicule it. He later went on to become a member of several UFO panels, and he became a huge proponent of opening up further UFO investigations. So he made up for his 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 error there. It was but, a mistake. Yeah. I don't think he meant it to be an insult. I think he did mean it to be a joke, and people are panicking. Let's bring some levity to the situation. But it was yeah. just – it was just wrong. Yeah. It was. But again, what I never knew about this was that when this happened, it did not immediately blow up. It was I don't remember the exact amount of time, but it was a while. Uh, It sounds like the actual coverage didn't happen until June 18th of 1997, when the USA Today ran a story about it. After that article, it became a national story and people were fascinated by it. 
Then, on April 21, 2008, the lights were again reported over Phoenix by local residents. These lights appeared to change from square to triangular formation over time. A Valley resident reported that shortly after the lights appeared, three jets were seen headed west in the direction of the lights. Uh, and in 2008, in April, a resident of Phoenix told the newspaper that the lights were caused by his neighbor releasing helium balloons with flares <laughs> attached. This was confirmed by a police helicopter, and the following day, a Phoenix resident stated that he had indeed attached flares to helium balloons and released them from his backyard. So people thought the ship was back, and it was just some dude messing around. But that's the Phoenix lights. Uh, there's a lot of different theories about it. You know, everything from aliens to military, air, secret military aircraft to the one of the most prevalent theories is that the second sighting were uh, flares being dropped by military planes that were running a test. But people say, you know, like they did this experiment actually on UFO hunters where they, they released flares to witnesses who actually saw the lights and asked them if it was anything like that. And they said no, because these lights hovered and stayed where they were. They didn't drop. They didn't float around like the flares did. But that seems to be the general consensus is that the second sighting was military flares. Woo! Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> not, not that flare. Not that flare. <laughs> um. Yeah, now, what's fucked up is, like I said, at the time it happened, people were calling into Art Bell saying, hey, there's some weird shit going on over this area. Yeah. And no one ran with the story. He even brought it up a couple times after that, and no one ran with the story. Yeah. Which was weird because, look, love him or hate him, folks, laugh at him or not, the guy had a massive following. Yeah. I mean, he was yeah. getting, what, 10 million yeah. listeners a night or something like yep. that? Yep. I have in my notes here that there were reports of witnesses saying that they saw aliens or that they heard alien voices in their heads while they were looking at the lights. Uh, one thing that I've only seen mentioned a few times was the fact that there almost seemed to be some sort of weird amnesia mind thing going on. You think that people would be freaking out or talking about this a lot or in a panic, but nobody really was. Uh, and it said when you couple this with the fact that they're wasn't any media really any media coverage about this really and it didn't come out for a while it was just strange and a lot of people yeah. didn't remember this that they actually witnessed this until after the media thing came out and they're like oh yeah i remember us seeing those lights that night which is something you don't forget no no so that's one I of the mean, weird things about this i mean i saw one weird thing in my life ufo related i don't believe it to be a quote-unquote alien ufo I think there's a perfectly logical explanation for it, but I've never forgot seeing it. Yeah. And that was just one weird thing. To see this thing, you don't forget that. No. And I don't know what I where I stand on the uh, military flares theory. Because people, a lot of people say when the lights wink out at the end, that's the flares disappearing behind a mountain range that's over there, but you can't see because it's nighttime and it's dark. Flares don't often, well, I don't, I, to my knowledge, cannot hang in the air for over an hour. Yeah. But that's what people say that the second one was. Uh, there, there's a pilot that says that he was one of the military pilots that was dropping the flares. But then there's other people that swear that they aren't flares. Um, someone, uh, where is it here? Let me see. 
somebody else said uh, a UFO researcher named Jim Delatoso ran a spectral analysis on the lights seen in the videotapes and claims that the results confirm that those lights are unlike any known light produced by humans. Well, that's that's a little iffy, especially considering that the, the, the quality of the tapes that I've seen of the lights. I mean, they look like eight, they look like '90s era, you know, yeah. video VCR but stuff. Yeah, what yeah. What you could tell from those videos and stuff is whether or not it were flares. Um, flares give off a different kind of light than any other kind of light, so you'd be able to tell whether or not they were flares. Yep. They don't look like flares to me. Um, they almost look like searchlights to me. Like, did you ever see a helicopter with a searchlight on it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's what they kind of look like to me. And that's what some people theorize is that maybe whatever these craft this craft these crafts were, it was looking for whatever the ship was that had come through there earlier that evening. But then again, one helicopter would make so much noise with yeah. searchlights that the yep. silence is what, what gets me on this. Yeah, but there is a lot of footage. You can see a lot of footage of the second half of the Phoenix lights. Now, I want to know, because you've kept me on the edge of my seat for almost an hour now, Kurt. You said <laughs> this ties into something that just happened. Yeah, it's so weird. I'm looking forward here. Because, um, you know, you know, anybody that listens to the Strange Sessions knows I love synchronicity. And it was so me weird. Too, it's that my favorite police album. <laughs> it is a good one. Uh, a couple days ago, I was just looking for any updates on the Phoenix Lights, and I just happened to see something about this. And... This I feel like this is so similar to it. So a May 26, and I mean that's just what is that three four days ago? A May 26 Fox News article called "Quote UFO Spotted Lurking Above U.S. Above U.S.'s Largest Marine Base" says, "Quote An unknown object with flashing lights appeared to hover over a marine base in 29 Palms, California, in 2021." A possible UFO with flashing lights was filmed flying over a U.S. Marine base in California in 2021 and mystified witnesses, but the government claims it was just a training exercise. Jeremy Corbell, who was the only civilian named during Congress's historic hearing in May 2022 on Unidentified Anomalous Phenomena, or UAPs, obtained footage and pictures of the possible UFO and shared them with Fox News Digital. Corbell, an investigative journalist and documentary, fil- documentary filmmaker, said that it was described to him by witnesses at Camp Wilson in 29 Palms, California, as, quote, a large, silent, and hovering triangular-shaped craft. Suzanne Goh, a Department of Defense spokesperson, told Fox News Digital that a training course was going on at that time, and the Pentagon's office that tracks UAPs, a government-derived acronym that means UFOs, doesn't have any record of this incident. I can confirm that there were military aviation assets in the 29 Palms, California airspace, and a weapons and tactics instructors course was being conducted at the time, she said in an email. There is no record of communication with the base range concerning a UFO sighting, nor of the allocation of any base resources to investigate a UFO sighting. In videos that Corbell and his podcast co-host, reporter George Knapp, released, voices can be heard asking what the object is. Another voice is heard saying, quote, we got aliens. 
The duo examined photos and videos of the incident during the May 23rd episode of their podcast and played interviews with unidentified witnesses who said they're Marines. A New York Times article said, quote, two years ago, this thing happened and nothing ever came out. Knapp explained there's been no media coverage in two years since. And this is like the Phoenix Lights ones where it doesn't come out for an, a period of time. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. I got a tip from two bases at the time. Corbell recalled about the quick call he got from a person who was, quote, high up. But the tip was basically just something like something happened and you should look into it. Click, he said, exclaiming that the source hung up on him without any further explanation. Though this spotting has never been addressed until now, Corbell claimed that the more than 10 minute long event was seen by over 50 people, including Marines on base. The object was apparently between the size of half a football field or a three bedroom, two story house or even bigger, Corbell alleged. He hopes now that the pair is talking about what they allege is a UFO, more eyewitnesses will come forward and talk about it. Meanwhile, Stanford professor and ufologist Dr. Gary Nolan boldly claimed last week that he believes, quote, 100 percent that extraterrestrials have not only visited Earth, but may have been here a long time and may still even be on the planet today. A Unilad article says, quote, Almost two years now, the footage has been shared on the YouTube channel Weaponized, along with interviews from Marines who saw the lights firsthand and described the object of, as being the size of a two-story house. We all came out and looked. Those lights appeared out of nowhere, one Marine said. People were just kind of baffled because nobody could recognize it. The Marine claimed that the lights could not have been flares because they didn't move, and when asked if he thought it was a craft, he responded, quote, I would have to believe so. Another Marine added, quote, this was something none of us had ever seen before. The witnesses also claimed that the object gave off absolutely no sound whatsoever. The podcast Weaponized described how commanders on a base acted quickly by mobilizing ground, ground units, dispatching helicopters, and firing off flares to try to light up the object, but it disappeared before they could get a good look. After that night, the case reportedly wasn't investigated further up the chain of command. One of the Marines admitted that they couldn't tell what they'd seen, but they just knew it wasn't something they recognized or that any of their friends recognized. They added, quote, I don't think it was anything U.S. military. I don't think it was anything from the U.S. military. Definitely some type of UFO. I'm just trying to figure out what the hell it was. So that sounds a lot. And if you see the picture of it, it looks a lot like the Phoenix Lights. It looks like a triangular craft, which is well, exactly what this one not being reported for a couple of years makes total sense to me yeah. because it well, happened on a military base. They're going to not yeah. let that come yeah. out. That makes it, sense for it to be delayed. It was like uh, the Tic Tac videos. The Tic Tac videos were delayed, Yeah, you know, before they acknowledged them. Rendlesham was about two years as well. Yeah. yeah. Now, to be devil's advocate against myself, um, my argument for – isn't it funny that all these UFOs are spotted near military bases? Doesn't that tell you it's the military? <laughs> or it tells you that these aliens are going, what the fuck is that military doing down there? Let me take a look. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Could be that. Yeah, there, there's been reports of al supposedly alien craft going around nuclear missile silos and, and somehow shutting off the nuclear missile silos. Like they take, assuming they exist, it sounds like they take a great interest in our our weaponry and stuff. Hey, yes, I saw the day there's sightings in the UK. Certainly, uh, back that up as well, Kurt. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, over, you know, electricity places, um, generating stations, 
nuclear power plants. You're absolutely right. Yeah. My argument about against the, the Phoenix Lights incident being a military craft that they were testing or moving from one area to another is you would think they wouldn't be stupid enough to move it on a early evening when they knew that people were going to be watching the sky for the hail bob comet the thing but, is it's so huge i mean I, yeah i've seen the footage yeah i mean it's that's something you people. you move at three o'clock in the morning when nobody's going to see it and you don't move it at eight o'clock at night when everybody's looking at the sky for a comet well the technological advances that you have at your disposal mean that you know your airspace and, and you can flick your lights off or most of your lights off if you are a UF, U.S. experimental aircraft, you know. It's so bizarre. Lauren, you have been so quiet. What do you think of uh, <laughs> of all this? Or did you fall asleep on us? I'm guessing she fell asleep on us. Oh, bless her. <laughs> oh, well, that, she doesn't that, like that, UFOs. That, that's fair enough. I, I would like to see something like this with my own eyes. I've never really seen a UFO. I have friends that have, but I've never seen one. I'm a little jealous of that. Did you Do you have friends that saw the the Phoenix Lights? I don't think so. I, I don't remember if my friends that live in Tempe and Phoenix were down there at that time. Oh. I do know. I did hear that um, Alice Cooper saw it as well. Yeah. Yep. Yep. yep, he's a Phoenix boy. Which I, th- I think is a wonderful connection. I, yeah, I he just quit drinking years before that, so you can't even blame it on the booze. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yep. Yeah, so, I mean, I just don't know what to make of it. I really don't. I, I'm torn. I don't know. I, mean, the I, I love is the Phoenix like story. For, for its time, the footage is the footage. I mean, it this, whatever is going on up there, to my eyes looks very big <laughs> yeah and there's so many reports of this triangular craft that if it's if it's not one of ours that we aren't telling people about then it's something that's been visiting here for quite a while because a lot of people do see this triangular craft yeah i love the phoenix light story because so many witnesses viewed by so many people the mystery of why no one talked about it for two years freaks me the fuck out. The fact that there is definitely something there. 10,000 people don't see nothing and have all kinds of photographic and video evidence of it. I don't remember if it was a, a years or if it was just a couple months, but it was weird that it just didn't come out. Yeah. Like you would think that would have been the next day. That would have been all over the news the next yeah. day. Yeah. But what it is is it military is it alien is it some kind of bizarre natural phenomenon who knows you know what it it could be something military that they want us to think is alien because they don't want us digging too much yeah yeah there's a lot of disinformation in the ufo community you know so that it could easily be that and everybody always says that we are light years ahead in technology in what we think we are doing but again, this was 97. That was quite a while ago. Yeah, but 97 was also a time they had a lot more funding in certain projects than they do now. Yeah. Especially think, NASA and things like that. 
you would think they would have come out by now and said, hey, we have this triangular-shaped aircraft. This is what you saw. But they haven't. That's true. That, that could have just cleared it all up, couldn't it? Yeah. So I, I don't know. Well, no, it couldn't, because at this point, no matter what they say, there's going to be a great percentage of people who don't believe it. Yeah. yeah if they come be. out and say, hey, we do have this triangular-shaped aircraft, we were testing it at the time, no one knew, here it is, people will say, no, they built that afterwards to uh, cover the story. Yeah. So yeah. people are never going to be satisfied. But it's a great story because we know there was something. We don't know what it is. We'll probably never know what it is. But people saw it live, and we've all seen it. We could see the footage. Um, There's a very similar one. I can't can't remember if it was over Argentina or Mexico that was very similar, probably in the earlier 90s than this. I've seen specials on it. That was so similar. Yeah, I think I I, – yes, I did. I don't remember what it was called, but I do seem to remember hearing about that one. And, was, and again, that's that's not that far from Arizona or California where this new sighting, you know, it's it's all no, over there. Another one where it was early evening that it was yeah. seen. Yeah. You know? And like you said, if you want to move something without people seeing it, you don't do it prime time. Yeah. I mean, unless it's like Super Bowl Sunday when you know no one's going to be out looking at the sky prime. <laughs> exactly. Time. No one's going to be watching the Super Bowl. Yeah. But, you know, it wasn't this. This was March 13th. Yeah. I mean, everybody was preparing for my birthday in two days. So <laughs> that's, that's what it was. So but it's just so many people witnessed this thing. So many people said the same thing about it, blocking out the stars that they didn't see the stars through it. So it sounds like a, but then I don't understand the light detaching. A couple people reported one of the lights detaching, going to the other side and then coming back, which is bizarre to me. You know, other people suggested that it's just a fleet of like five airplanes that were just flying over the over the state. And the reports of there not being any anything that come came from the airport about it, I guess, from what I remember, right, like if your transponder is on, you will ping the airport. But depending on your altitude, you don't necessarily have to have it on. So it could have been just some very high flying jets flying in formation that people saw. But I don't know. But five together you would hear. Yeah, especially if it's low to the ground like some people said it was. Or are they misjudging because, you know, eyewitness testimony is so well, yeah. sketchy. But the yeah, speed you, you can only judge itself. the height of something like that if there's something to compare it to. If they're yeah. flying by a skyscraper and they're not above it, then you know how high it is. Yeah. yeah. If the not, speed you have no itself idea. is also a clue because – you can't easily slow down a jet yeah to a slower speed like that can you is that is that possible <laughs> i don't and to stay in exact formation where it looks like one solid craft i don't know at, at such a slow speed o- over a few seconds in the sky when we see yep. all these aerial displays great but yep mm. but again if you look at this new footage from uh 29 29- Palms, California, it looks exactly like what I think the Phoenix Lights craft would have looked like, a triangular craft. Why the lights move, I don't know. Oh, Lauren disappeared. That's okay. She she got abducted. (laughs) 
I think she was having computer issues. Okay, she's come back. Oh, she's, she's back. back. Hello, Hello, Lord. Hiya. Sorry, I couldn't do anything. Everything crashed, and I was just there. We thought you were abducted. <laughs> well, maybe they could figure out what's going on with me medically. <laughs> <laughs> They're not going to probe your anus, though. <laughs> no rectal probes. <laughs> yeah, here's a you know question I have for you, Kurt, because you've done a lot more research on this topic than Lauren, Neil, or myself. Was there any reportings in and around that time of craft landing? As far as I know, no, there wasn't. Or any other things that go with UFO sightings, like crop circles or uh, or mutilated cattle or anal probes uh you know i'm not trying to even be funny with that but anything not not that i'm aware of i mean the only things that i really heard were what people said about the hearing alien voices in their head or having this weird amnesia where they forgot about it you know like some like like people that supposedly get abducted forget about the whole incident and have missing time and stuff like that there wasn't anything like that so no uh what was weird is that a lot of people that witnessed this, uh, one of the sites, one of the websites I looked at for this said a lot of people that witnessed this, quote, had a perception that the light seemed somehow benevolent, that they weren't evil, like the light was calming, which I thought was strange. Well, on a very much smaller scale, but to speak in, in, a, in a sort of kindred way of thinking, Rendlesham, Jim Penniston, one of the very first. He was one of the uh, American USAF. Uh, they have their own police for the bases. He, with, with John Bowers and another man, was they were the first on the scene and the first in inverted commas crash or landing or whatever can happen. And Jim would only remember years later some more of these details of touching the craft yes yep and in fact his colleague john burrows fellow usa police or policeman john couldn't even remember i mean they were in awe of what they saw but he couldn't remember anything other than just being in awe of it and then jim recalled that he had been given not just a message, but a binary code. Yeah. That he admits himself. He does not know binary, but this darn thing was lodged in his head. And in the back of his notebook, he claims he was, he had to get it out of his system. And he wrote this down. And, and now the binary code has been translated. So I understand. I, I'm, I'm, and, and it had a message. It had a message, which was quite clear about vi- visiting the Earth. Yeah, the binary code thing was fascinating. I remember that about the case, and that was just so, so interesting to me. And and there, there was, there's, there's sort of coordinates that work with uh, pyramids and all sorts on there as well. Incredible. I mean, he's, it, 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 but there was also a concern that maybe some drugs had been used to administered to these guys after what they had 
experienced at Rendlesham. So we, we don't know the way things have got twisted around. But certainly it's two years after that. And then, then the story breaks. It comes out. But that, that's interesting, that kind of two-year pause. It might not have been two years. It might have just been a couple of months going back through my notes. It might not have been years. It might have just yeah. been months. But still, to me, it's weird that – because now, I mean, there's a lot of mornings I'm watching the news and they say there was some unidentified craft spotted in the air and they'll show it like the day after. But for some reason with this one, they didn't. It was months after the sightings that it, it came out and then everybody what, was interested in it. What about the one with the um, and, and again, you got to forgive my ignorance here because I'm not as much of a UFO researcher, the. um which I think would have been around this time too. That 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 school in Australia where all the students saw it. I don't I don't know. That was one case that I wanted to do an episode about because that one was fascinating to me too. That all these students and I think some of the teachers saw this. Teachers didn't they? too, yeah. Yeah, saw this craft. But, but that was around this time too. According wasn't? to the I think it's the headmaster. They were threatened. You 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 don't say anything about this. Yeah. Otherwise you'll lose you'll lose your job. Again, it, it could have been. I mean, it was something very much out of the, the wider experience of Australia. Uh, and that, again, it could be that they're wanting to brand, use the word panic. Uh, and these are the measures that that a, yeah. a country is prepared to go to to. And you know, back in panic, back in '97, I don't was was social media really prevalent back in 97 i don't remember it no, being you know so people people across arizona might have seen this but might not have known that other people saw the same thing until the news story started popping up that's maybe sure. one of the reasons why it took so long for people to be like oh yeah i remember that because sure. they didn't know other people saw the same thing yeah and i think in the modern world we're also we can easily dismiss what we see in the sky is something that can be explained or somebody else would have reported that. Yeah, because now people are constantly reporting the Starlink satellites getting yeah, sent yeah. up because people yeah. see that as a UFO. Well, yeah. one thing I do know is that even though it was the time of Hale-Bopp, I don't think it was the Heaven's Gate spaceship. <laughs> I don't think it was the Heaven's Gate spaceship. That was such <laughs> that was such a big story when that happened, too. Oh, that's still one. Of, that's just so tragic. Yeah. Yep. But this was, I don't know, Lauren, what what do you think? I know you're not a big UFO gal, but this is a messed up story. Uh, I mean, that, I, I mean, I love the paranormal shows now because for some unknown reason are branching out into going places where there are UFO sightings. So it is kind of a messed up story in a sea of many messed up stories that had to do with UFOs. And I and the thing is, is we'll never know. Because, you know, as you said earlier, it's arrogant to think that we're alone in the universe. But then the problem I have is, is you know, is it would be more like the blob. I don't think they would be necessarily humanoid to have another species that is humanoid in the way that we think it is, again, arrogant. And, and again, you would need a you would need to have a second planet with exactly the same atmosphere and that is the challenge that is the we can't say that there you know while there are different planets that can just 
that can support life but it's going to be very different so i i don't know like i don't want to see them (laughs) i just hope that if there are aliens that are visiting and even if they're the evil ones that and and that's partly for their own sake because i think i think that if they're if we were to have tangible proof that we at the point that we are now would be more damaging to them than they would be to us because we would our first instinct would be to explore and to dissect them and then to try and subjugate them and possibly destroy them yep yep and going along with what you said (laughs) going along with what you said about panic like i really don't know how I would like if they came out and said, "Hey, these things exist." I would be like, "Oh, I've always thought they did." But a lot of people don't know how, you know, like religious people might have a really hard time with that. For some reason, that is one of the things that always pops up is that uh, some people's religious beliefs might might make them think that we are the only special beings around and then to find out that we're not would throw some people for a loop. Whether or not they bring mass hysteria, I don't know, but I totally agree that because we've been conditioned to believe that aliens are bad, that our first instinct would be to attack them or to be afraid of them. My thing is, even if there are aliens and they do visit us and they are the bad ones that want to like eat us for dinner, I just hope they all look like Grogu and they're so cute that we don't care that they're going to eat us. (laughs) That would be the best way to do it is have cute aliens. Oh my God, little Grogu's, oh, you can come and eat us? Go ahead. If you think about it, it... The phenomena that we saw in the kind of from the 1930s, you know, Flash Gordon, Larry Buster Crab, right the way through the from spinning discs to <laughs> 1950s, 60s B movies, it was all bad until we really get to late 70s, early 80s. And I use that date fluid because the releases of films were a little bit different over in UK to what they were in the, in, in the US. But Close Encounters yep. was a phenomenon yeah. that showed that we wouldn't necessarily understand the tech, but we would we we didn't have to fear. They are uh, the aliens that landed. Yep. And what followed up after that was, of course, E.T., yep. the, the extraterrestrial with his little finger. They cute, you know, they moving the story. But you do know that originally E.T. was supposed to be a much darker film. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. What I always think of is Whitley Strieber's, was it Communion? Yes. His book that came out with the gray alien on the front. And I think that that picture of that alien is what set off what we thought aliens look like now. It 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 created the gray the image of the grays that we all have when we think of little aliens. Oh, yeah. It, could it could it be chicken or egg? Yeah. Now, and, and like Neil said, we've always we've been conditioned that aliens are bad. And Lauren's right in how would we react even if they weren't bad? Because for yeah. instance, arguably one of the greatest science fiction films ever made, The Day the Earth Stood Still, the aliens weren't bad. But look how we reacted. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and yeah, and you're right. In the coming of the 70s and into the early 80s, with the exception of Star Wars, which was space fantasy in another universe, 
that spawned so many ripoffs. Science fiction that involved our life, it was half and half at that point, whether they were good or bad. I mean, think about it. You're going to laugh when I say it, but Mork and Mindy was about an alien coming to live on Earth. Hey, he was a nice guy, too. Yeah, I yeah. can remember Mork calling Orson. Yeah, Orson was a dick. Robin. Robin Williams, bless him. I always think of the Twilight Zone, old Twilight Zone episode with the book to serve man, that the aliens come and they have this book called to serve man. And then it turns yes. out to be a cookbook. Yeah. Oh, that, okay. that they but imagine if it was, if it was Grogu instead of Lurch, who was going to eat you. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Wasn't Ted Cassidy the, uh, the, the I think he was, I think yeah. he was. Uh, yep. But, uh, you're right. E.T. Close encounters, although close encounters was kind of ambiguous. We don't know if they were good or bad. They took those people. Maybe they ate them. We don't know. We don't know, but E.T. sealed the deal of affection. And let's face it, the in Close Encounters, they didn't come down and sent off all sort of beams blazing, destroying the ground around them like a heat ray that we'd seen with H.G. Wells with War of the Worlds. So it felt that there was some sort of benevolence, almost Halo-like uh, with, with a sort of religious edge to it, almost. You know, another I, example of that time period with the good aliens would be um, uh, uh, the greatest American hero. Was yeah. aliens came down to save humanity by giving this Ooh. guy superpowers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, any. You're right. Late seventies through the early eighties, most science fiction that involved aliens coming to Earth turned out to be good guys. But then you yep. could see that it turned again when we had like Independence Day and uh, the movie Signs, like the aliens were, were bad again. Yeah, What's well. intriguing is, is that after Close Encounters and E.T. and the immediate aftermath of that, there was quite a – in 77, it's one of the peaks of UFO sightings. Mm-hmm. But once we start getting into the 1980s, it, they really do – tail off and that's a time period where a lot of the old school uh, ufo groups had fractured some of them even kind of gave up the the, the witnesses were just not coming forward anymore but then you as, a bit like dracula you can't keep a good man down and uh, as we go through the 90s when we get to 97 and mm-hmm. we think about the film genres, but doesn't always necessarily directly connect. But you get what I'm saying here. Films are changing and the aliens becoming a little bit more aggressive again. And you see the side people are starting to look up again. They're looking up at the sky again. Also, hey, I think our culture society and it always has have a time of unprecedented. Uh, I, I will use the word word. It was a kind of it was a too good to be true belief in in quite a lot of peace going on on the big stage where you'd have Ron Reagan, you had Gorbachev. We had Margaret Thatcher. Um, There's good or bad for a lot from a lot of different people's point of view. But on the world stage, there's a lot of harmony going on. This is huge threat of nuclear war that many of us had grown up with you know uh when we were kids seems like the world was changing it was 
all of that fear was dying down. But as the world stage changed again, it metamorphosed into the later 90s. More and more people are looking up again and we're seeing more and more of these these lights in the sky. Now, we are approaching the hour and a half mark. So I'm going to break it down to a couple more questions. We're going to go around the tables and we're going to answer these questions. Everyone gets to answer before we wrap it up. We'll start with the Phoenix Lights. Do you believe that it was terrestrial, extraterrestrial, or natural phenomenon? Kurt, we'll start with you. (laughs) I knew you were going to start with me, and I'm trying to think. I don't know. I just don't know what I think. There's, There's so much weirdness that leads me to think it's an alien ship, but I also know that... Eyewitness testimony is bad. Some of these sites embellish stuff to make it more interesting. Um, I'm going to go with military craft. I think it's a military craft. I really do. Lauren, Lauren, your call. Um, I I don't know. As long as it's not the Borg, then we're all good. (laughs) We know it's going to be a thing. All right, deal. Comes down to you. You're next. Oh, I'm, I'm afraid I, I'm going to play the the Sarah Credas card, which is there's a show in the UK. It's I quite like it, and it's it's Craig Charles who was on um, Red Dwarf. Red Dwarf, and oh. and he explores UFOs, believe it or not, with a very reputable uh, scientist and scientific journalist called Sarah Credas. And she said, and, you know, you, you, you've got it. I would go with the credits card. Well, it's unexplained. Yeah. The door is still open. We, I, I really don't think we can bin it uh, as one way or the other. It is an unidentified flying object. It's UAP. We don't know what it is. Yep. Okay, hey, my so- turn to answer. I say... I agree with Neil. We don't know what it is, but everybody should carry a towel with them at all times, just in case. Yes. 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 Indeed, they should. Good common sense. Next question. If it is of alien origin, picking just pop culture from whatever time period you want, and you get to pick what type of alien comes to visit us, what do you hope it is? Lauren, you get to start this time. I know you're going to say not the boy. Uh, well, we're, we're more likely to meet someone like the Borg, I think. That's just humanity's luck. <laughs> but I, I kind of hope, like in Star Trek First Contact, that it is someone like the Vulcans that are just watching over us and going, oh, pity, poor children. We'll come back when they're ready. <laughs> All, right. All right, Neil, your pick. What do you want it to be? Uh, Scottish country dancers. <laughs> okay. They, they dance down the, 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 it comes down with like a tripod. There's a platform come down, rather nasty, silver suited, scary things. They're, they're going to have a wee dance with us and, and make the world a better place with tartan and whiskey. Come on. Good what answer. about short ride? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, um, Kurt, what do you want the aliens to be? What would I want them to be? I would want them 
to be like the Daleks from Doctor Who, but friendly, because I think the Daleks are kind of cute. So that's what I want. No, I think. Well, like, like good. I (laughs) I think they're cute. Uh, But whatever. If it is alien, these have been here for quite a while. They've been visiting us and they don't do anything bad as far as I know, other than maybe kill some of our cows and abduct some of our people, maybe put things in their butt. Other than that, you know. And we kill a lot of cows and stick a lot of things in each other's butts, too. (laughs) Yes, we do. So what makes them the bad guys? I don't know. I I think that. Oh, go ahead. no, like she's like she said, I think that they just kind of look at us and just shake their head and be like these idiots. And they're like, let's just fly over Arizona and freak them out. I think My that's kind of what it is. I want the aliens, if they do come here, to be like all the aliens in Plan 9. Slightly gay, but over melodramatic. <laughs> you know? Can they please bring back Vampire, please? <laughs> yeah, and, and plus, you know, the woman who played Tana... The, the female alien in Plan 9 from Outer Space is the creator of the Great Gazoo on the Flintstones. <laughs> I did she not know on, that. She went on to be an animator and cartoon creator. Worked for Hanna-Barbera, and one of her fa- most famous creations is the Great Gazoo. So anybody who gives us the Great Gazoo is okay in my books. <laughs> so that leads to the next question. Your favorite animated alien of all time. Mine, oh, Great boy. Gazoo. Neil, you get to go first this time. Uh, it's from Futurama, and and it, and it's the depressed robot, and I forget his name now. Did you ever see Futurama? Mm-hmm. I did. I know Marvin, the depressed robot from uh, Hitchhiker's Guide. Yeah, but he's like Marvin it, Plus. Is it Bender? It's not Bender. Bender. No, Bender's. Yeah, he's, he's depressed. He's skeptical. He's a yep. bit deceitful. He smokes cigars and. <laughs> Yeah, so, okay, maybe the Scottish country dancer aliens that I forgot to add did wear plaid, but they were silver. I forgot to add that bit. Um, But, okay, if they're going to be like Bender from Futurama, uh, that's good by me. All right, Lauren, your favorite animated alien. Um, I have to say it's from Lower Decks the animated General Martok that leads the D&D game in one of the episodes. I love Lower Decks. Kurt, have you watched Lower Decks? I have not, actually. I've seen it come up a lot lately, but I've never watched it. I've seen it mentioned. Because two of the characters are crossing over into Strange New Worlds. So, yay! You know, I, I never watched... I haven't seen any of the new Star Trek things. I haven't seen, I think I saw the first new movie, but I just, you know, and I loved, uh, I loved Next Generation. I just didn't watch Can Picard. If, if watching Picard, you have to watch seasons one and two because, but don't lose faith. Stay until season three, which is the, the best. The thing which with Picard. Season one two suck. The thing with Picard, though, is I've been reading everything that happens, even though I don't watch it. So I know everything. I know about no. Q coming back. So Lower Decks. Don't Lower worry Decks. about that. Strange New World is good, too, by the way. Yeah. Discovery well, it, well is good folks, too. if you've never seen it, we're getting, if we're going to get retro, right, because not everybody's got all these up-to-date internet connecty show things right but on, on like free pauper vision view check out the jerry anderson synergy 
of puppets and real life people called UFO. Never heard of that. Yeah, I'm well, looking up that one. Yeah, I have to look that one up too. Boy. But Kurt, you've got like Thunderbirds animation, but with real actors and actresses in twinkly uh, wigs and 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 like twinkly <laughs> vests and spandex, and it's unbelievable. They have to- I have to correct you there. It's not animation. It's super marionation. Uh, I, I was wrong. Yeah. <laughs> it is filmed yeah. in super marionation. I, I, I like that detail. Lauren, you're spot on. Spot on. No, I was very big into Stingray when I was younger. Uh, and, but Stingray was the best. Uh, I, 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 I always thought a Stingray looked like a bath toy. <laughs> All right, Kurt, I need your animated alien. I I wanted to say Gur from Invader Zim, but I don't think Gur's an alien. I think Gur's a robot, so I'm going to go with Zim from Invader Zim. All right, if you've never seen like it, Charles it's Chocolate? awesome. Wrong! The right answer, the great Gazoo. I was never a Gazoo fan. Look, <laughs> great Gazoo was not only obnoxious, but lethargic at the same time. Yeah. You don't get much cooler than that. Plus, Harvey Corman provided his voice. This is going to piss you off, but to me, Kazoo is kind of like when Scrappy-Doo came on Scooby-Doo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm with you on that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a bad move. Not the Great Kazoo, though. The Great Kazoo was awesome. Do you know what the Great Kazoo was being punished for? No. He was sent back in history to perform good deeds for, like, you know, to the two morons he found because he was being punished for inventing a death ray that would have wiped out all of society. I did not know that. Well, I forget it. It gives on a, a twist on My Name is Earl. Yeah. <laughs> well, I forget Kazoo. it was Harvey Corman. And it was Harvey Corman, yeah. All right, the last question. Last question. Rendlesham Forest, Phoenix Lights. Which one do you think provides more evidence for something paranormal? Rendlesham Forest, because there's more than UFOs that goes on there. Yes, 100%. Okay, I'm I'm, going to go with that. Um, Particularly having met and interviewed Brenda Butler. Yeah, I, I, at 100%, there is I mean, there's a there lot was, more. The Phoenix Lights? There was um, footage from a drone of a black-eyed child moving in Randolph Forest. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, the Phoenix Lights had way more people witness it, but it, in the end, it was just a ship crossing the sky or hanging out in the sky for a little bit. Uh, Randolph Forest had so much more than it. Like you said, the thing with the binary code, it had so much more to it. And if you listen, I what was it the actual audio? Yeah. From it's, yeah, if you listen to that, it's just set record. Yeah. It's just fascinating listening to the actual audio of them investigating it, which I think is you know, I I do think the Phoenix Lights is interesting, but I don't think it's Rendlesham Forest interesting. Wow. Well, on that note, I, before we sign off, I got to say, guys and gals, 
I want to thank you all for putting the fearless force and back together again. As everybody who listens to the show knows, I don't hide the fact that I have anxiety issues and depression issues and things. And, and I love the three of you guys so much. Just having us all together makes me feel better. Um, takes a lot of my stress away and it means a lot to me to get the group yep. together and we got to do it more often. Yep. This group is family to me. It really is. It's, it's, yeah. I love this group. Bless your hearts, everybody. Thank you. Lots of love. Neil, you better send out a shout out to my mother or she will never let me live it down. Hi, Brian's mum. <laughs> lovely lady. Here's a big kiss. Mwah! There we go. So, from Kurt in the wonderful Wisconsin, Neil, and where are you at today, Neil? I'm in Northumberland. In, in, in the Northumberland. Elf in Buffalo, New York. And with me, as always, is Lauren from Swansea. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night, everybody. One man shit, Bukaki.